The streaming Super Bowl scored again this year, delivering a positive experience to a growing connected TV and mobile audience. And Paramount Plus continued its strong growth, adding 7.3 million subscribers in Q4. Listen on to learn more. Welcome to this week's edition of Inside the Stream. This is Will Richmond from Video News, and that was Colin Dixon from InScreen Media there at the top. Hey, Colin, how's everything? Uh, great, Will, and I really enjoyed the game on Sunday, the Super Bowl on Sunday. We'll probably be getting to that a little bit later in the podcast, but uh, it was a close game. It's great. I love it, it when was. it's a close game. Yeah, it was a great. I thought it was a great game. It was really exciting, compelling all the way down to the last series of downs. Um, but uh, obviously, for Cincinnati fans, it came up just a little bit short. It did. It did. And congratulations for the Rams. Although I have to say, with with the Rams just sneaking by San Francisco by three points, like Cincinnati, uh, I don't know. I have a feeling that that uh, San Francisco. Uh, could have given them a good game a second time around, but uh, I guess we'll have to wait till next season to see what happens with yeah. that. Uh, but anyway, I think we're going to talk about a couple of news items, some items that hit our radar before we get to our main topics. Yeah, and you're up first on the news side. I am, and I want to talk about just a just a real quick couple of data points from Hub Entertainment Research that they released today. We're recording here Thursday, and they they really looked at uh, metaverse and how the metaverse is percolating out there with the general population. And I wanted to focus on NFTs, non-fungible tokens. These have been getting a lot of airplay in the media. And they, the hub went out and asked, NFT stands for non-fungible tokens. NFTs are a system for creating and owning, exchanging unique pieces of digital, digital uh, content. And they asked, have you heard of it? Are you familiar with it? And uh, turns out only 32% a third said they'd heard a lot. 36% said they'd heard a little and 32% said they'd heard nothing at all. And the number that said that they could actually tell you what it was, only 27% were very confident that they could do that. So the conclusion from this data was the NFTs and the metaverse is still quite a ways away from getting mainstream acceptance in the, in the media. Uh, so I thought that was uh, pretty interesting from from that uh, from that data. Anything surprising out of that, Colin? That the state of awareness is still relatively low. I, I guess not, but it's always good. I always like it, Will, when I get a a cold bath of reality <laughs> because we tend <laughs> to get so far outside. Uh, out in front of our wheels, right, on on stuff like NFTs with all the hype and everything. And this is just a big uh, reminder, hey, wait a minute, you know, this really is not going to be mainstream acceptance for quite a while. So that's good. We've got, pl- I think we've got plenty of room to figure out the, the models. And, but, uh, you know, a few years before it becomes mainstream. Yeah, fair enough. And um, one item that hit my radar this week was that AMC Networks reported its uh, earnings and said that it is now up to 9 million 
paying subscribers for its various streaming services. And there are about four or five. AMC Plus is the big one. Shutter, Acorn, Sundance Now, um, rounding it out. So uh, 9 million, they did not say what the increase was in the fourth quarter. They had not mentioned what the Q3 number was back three months ago. Um, but they did issue a forecast of 20 to 25 million by 2025. And um, some of our podcast listeners will remember that we actually talked about AMC Plus over the summer because I had subscribed to it via Amazon channels and we were chatting about the pros and cons of a Amazon distributed service versus going direct, only direct consumer. And so, um, so they, uh, they're up to 9 million, obviously a smaller service, but you know, it seems like they've created a niche for themselves and are um, executing pretty well. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, you know, to just give folks an idea of maybe how many AMC Plus subscribers there are. I know that a year or so ago, I think Acorn TV said that they had 2 million subscribers. Last time Shutter reported before they got snapped up by AMC, I think they said they had 1 million. So I don't know, maybe AMC Plus is in the 3 to 4 million range, something like that. So uh, anyway, Pretty good, pretty good growth for a very young service, uh, but uh, certainly not in the stratosphere of of Netflix and Hulu and and uh, Disney Plus. That's for sure. Absolutely. Um, so let's move on to our main story this week. As you mentioned, Colin, at the top, we want to talk about the Super Bowl. You actually, um, I mean, obviously, both watched it. Uh, you spent a lot of time analyzing different places that it was streaming, what the latency was, what the overall experience, what your overall experience was, and you're going to share some of that, and then I'm going to share some of my experience. Right. Uh, so for the first time, the broadcaster who had the Super Bowl did not make it available for free to everybody to watch online. Um, but it didn't seem to deter. Well, maybe it did a little, but uh, we'll get to the numbers uh, presently. But it looks like most people that watched uh, watched the Super Bowl on a, a TV of some description. Um, I was looking at some data from Conviva that sort of rolled up the viewing time by device. And, well, that shows that 86% of viewing time was on a smart TV or connected TV or game console. So that was all on the TV screen. So most people did watch on the TV screen. Um, and there were you could basically watch this through four different um, outlets or actually three primary NBC, uh, uh, two primary NBC outlets. One was NBC, uh, NBC Sports dot com. The second was Peacock. And uh, I also uh, when I did some testing, I made sure that I looked at what was going on on YouTube TV and I also took a look um, uh, on a couple of other of the uh, virtual MVPDs. Um, so, I, you know, as I was looking on mobile, I was looking on my home Wi-Fi and comparing it all to the broadcast. And I got to tell you, I thought it held up pretty darn well. What was your, you, you watched as well. What was your experience? I, my experience was very positive. I, I watched it on um, on NBC on TV uh, via Comcast, but um, also was watching on Peacock. And 
it was impeccable. The service, I had no interruptions or anything. The only issue was the delays, which I know you're going to talk about. Right. That was the biggest issue for me. I did have a little bit of an issue with NBC Sports um, uh, dot com getting in at first, but that didn't seem to last very very long, and I got in. And the remarkable thing was that the yes, the delays were quite hefty, and I'll talk about those in a second. But they were at least very consistent because I bounced in and out of the services quite deliberately. I logged out of all of the services at the half time and then logged back in. And the delays pretty much stayed the same and they were all in the 30 to 40 second range. Yeah. So that means a full down behind the broadcast feed that I was watching, which was my NBC Bay Area uh, station using an antenna on my roof. And I, I've got to tell you, the quality looked pretty good in comparison with that broadcast channel. Uh, but boy, getting, you know, being 30 seconds behind, uh, I don't know if you were monitoring social media, yeah. Will, but that's a real problem. People were probably chatting about touchdowns that a lot of the streamers hadn't already seen. Uh, so I think that's a problem. Um, even, even YouTube TV, which is one of the biggest uh, virtual MVPDs, even they were 40 seconds behind the broadcast feed. So this, seemed to, this seems to have been pretty universal. And I was a bit mystified because, well, there were plenty, there were actually deployed solutions now for, uh, for low latency streaming. And I thought that maybe NBC at least would try that. Um, I was also pretty disappointed that there was no 4K feed, that you couldn't watch the game in 4K through Peacock, through um, through NBC Sports, or you know, through any of the platforms that I tried, so that was that was kind of disappointing. Um, but as you say, very good video quality. I even up sticks and took the dog for a walk at half time and got on my uh, had my phone with Peacock running on my phone on T-Mobile's mo- mobile network uh, and did a three mile loop with my dog and. You know, it never quit once. It was great. Uh, so that was that was pretty consistent. And interestingly, the mobile network had the lowest delay of the networks that I tried, just 29 seconds. So, but still, still a full down behind. Yeah, full down behind. That was exactly my experience, uh, Colin, with Peacock. I would say that I um, tested it probably three or four times and it was about 40 to 45 seconds delayed, which as you say, is, is really a full down. Um, so I wasn't monitoring social media, but for sure, um, you know, if you were on social and you were following, you would be, you know, you, you would have been getting some spoilers along the way. Yeah. So a couple of other things about the experience. Um, one of the things that I've noted in the past is that the ad load the ads you see on streaming in the Super Bowl are pretty much the same ads that you see in the broadcast stream. And that was largely true here, although not completely. So uh, particularly in the first half, it seemed to me like the ad loads I saw on Peacock and on uh, NBCSports.com were pretty much identical to the ads that I saw on the broadcast feed. But in the second half... It seemed a lot of the last ad in in the pod were being replaced. So, for example, I saw ads 
uh, for Under Armour, the GMC Denali, and a lot of Peacock ads in that last slot that didn't appear in the broadcast. Mm. Um, so they definitely were selling those separately. I I'll also say that I didn't think that they were targeted. They certainly didn't seem to be targeted to me. None of these ads particularly spoke to me. Um, but, you know, m- maybe sticking close to the broadcast load was the right thing to do here because people spent an awful lot of money for those uh, for those ads. And it's a feature, right? Uh, everybody watching wants to see those big ads uh, that people are placing. So, uh, you know, that was that was one interesting thing. The other thing was that a lot of streaming services stepped up to the plate. There were a lot of ads for streaming services. We saw Netflix, who placed an ad focusing on its movies in the first quarter, especially they really focused on that Ryan Reynolds new movie called The Adam Project. Disney Plus, they were talking about their greatest of all time goat movies, which with a with with what I thought was a pretty dumb ad with goats. I'm not sure that, that people got the reference. And uh, even Rakuten placed an ad with Hannah Waddington that was focusing on its rewards programs. But I also saw Amazon Prime Video running two ads, uh, particularly focusing on uh, their the upcoming Lord of the Rings prequel yeah. series that they've made yeah. and HBO Max. There was one for AMC+. Plus. So there was a lot of ads in there from from streamers. So they were spending the money, Will, to grow their subscriber base. Yeah, I thought the one from AMC Plus was the most surprising of all. Yeah, yeah, me too, me too. So I guess the the only other thing I'll say is that finally we did get some actual data from NBC about how many people watched. And I just, I did my usual thing because one of the things that they tend to obscure in that data is they don't give you the real number of people that are streaming. They give you the number of people that streamed from NBC properties. And that, of course, doesn't reflect the the number of virtual MVPD viewers, the people that are using things like YouTube TV and Sling TV, etc., etc., to watch. So I ran my usual calculation to figure out, okay, how many people actually were watching and what I found was that, um, by my estimates, there were about 13 million virtual MVPD subscriber. Uh, excuse me, 13, 13 million MVPD subscribers in the U.S., and about 3.6 million of those watched the game. So, by my calculations, that takes you to about about 18 million people watched the game streamed, as opposed to on traditional media. Um, so that's a, a little over, that's about uh, 15% of the audience, 16% of the audience was watching on some sort of streamed platform. And do you know how that compares to last year or prior years as an example? Yeah, and this this is where the fact that NBC didn't make it available for free really kicks in well. It did increase, by my calculations, it increased by about 1 million viewers We've had much bigger increases in the past, and I have a feeling that this is because people couldn't watch for free. That they had, they either had to watch the broadcast stream if they were watching, if they wanted to watch for free, or they had to pay. So I think that really did cap the increase. 
Um, now, they claimed a, a 5% increase in people. So they, were, they compared the number of people that watched on an NBC streamed platform, i.e. Peacock or NBC Sports, with the number of people that watched on a CBS streamed platform last year. And they said that they saw a 5% increase. But even that was relatively small uh, when you compare to other years. So I think that's the impact of them uh, making you pay to watch the game. So I think a lot of people, when they came up against that paywall, said, nah, I can find it. I'll go, I'll go hang out with a friend or... I'll, I'll turn on the TV and watch on the TV rather than on my connected device. Yeah, it did seem like a pretty big change in strategy. It almost seemed like over the past several years, we've arrived at a point where it was kind of, you know, accepted practice that the Super Bowl would be streaming for free. Um, and this year, uh, NBCU, you know, made the different call and, you know, you had to be a subscriber instead. Yeah, you, and, and it will be very interesting to see if, they talk about how Peacock has done in the first quarter yeah. with paying subscribers. Because remember, of course, you've got to pay for the Olympics. And um, as I mentioned, as we mentioned last week, I think the Olympics is looking pretty darn good on Peacock this year, uh, as opposed to their uh, their performance last year. So it's really interesting to see if they talk about it, um, how many people paid up and how many people stuck around afterwards when when it's all done next month so i guess we'll have to wait and see what happens there yeah these are great questions and so that's a great analysis rundown colin of the super bowl and in your experience um anything else that you wanted to add on that or should we spend just a couple of minutes on our next topic but there was just one weird thing but i do want to i do want us to spend a little bit on on the next topic there was one weird thing um in order for you to watch on nbc sports i had to log in with a pay tv provider and so the one I found to log in with was, I don't have traditional pay TV, but I do have Sling TV, and they let me log in with Sling. But actually, ironically, I couldn't have watched the Super Bowl with Sling because Sling doesn't carry my NBC, my local NBCU <laughs> affiliate. So <laughs> I thought that was pretty amusing that, that, that they did that. So... Um, but uh, yeah, that's that's all. But why don't we talk about why don't we talk about the big announcement from the former formerly called Viacom CBS? Yeah, and we only have about five minutes or so, five six minutes left. So we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on this. We'll probably come back to it again another time. But um, yeah, well, Viacom CBS obviously rebranded this week as Paramount Global, but. Um, also, on the streaming side, had some very positive numbers, uh, we thought. Um, overall streaming numbers now up to 56 million. They gained 9.4 million in Q4. That's a global number. And that's really Paramount Plus, plus Showtime, plus, I guess, Noggin is another one that's in there. Um, but Paramount Plus itself is now up to 32.8 million subscribers. Uh, that was up 7.3 million in the quarter. And they're expecting global streaming subscribers to exceed 100 million by the end of 2024. So pretty strong numbers, uh, subscriber numbers there for Paramount Global. And streaming, excuse me, streaming revenue was up 48% in Q4 to 1.3 billion. So, um, you know, we've talked before, we, we like what they're doing, um, the in streaming, the, the last piece of it is Pluto, which 
as we've discussed in the past, is a really is the free service is a great feeder into the subscription services. And Pluto is now up to 64 million monthly average uh, users, and that has a goal of 100 to 120 million monthly uh, average users by 2024. So overall, um, strong quarter for um, what was Viacom CBS, now Paramount Global, and strong um, looking forward. They also increased their budget for content, I believe, to $6 billion. Was that the number, Colin? I can't recall exactly off the top of my head. Yes, they have. Yeah, that's that's right, Will. Yeah. So, um, so that, you know, just a quick rundown, you know, obviously they're not nearly, they are not nearly as big as the big three, which is Netflix, Disney plus and Amazon, but prime, but, but they're in there. They're a solid, you know, top five service now. They, they absolutely are. Yeah. I, I mean, I, actually, I don't know. I still don't know how to cope with prime video in my numbers. Will. Because it's, you know, nobody, very few people actually subscribe to Prime Video. It's, it's the fact that it's uh, the free benefit that, Fair uh, enough. that, yeah. that draws them in. And Hulu. Yeah, we don't want to forget about Hulu also. No, we certainly five. don't. Yeah. And as you say, this puts Paramount in a very solid, uh, if you accept, if you don't worry about Prime Video, this puts, this puts them, I think, in fourth place. They're behind Hulu, 45.3. And Paramount Plus, of, co- of course, has 32.8 million. So very strong performance, being very aggressive in Europe. Cert- they're really being aggressive with Pluto TV, Will. They've been launched, they've launched in a bunch of European countries. They just reached agreement with the Nordic Entertainment Group to launch Pluto TV in the Nordic, Sweden, Denmark, Norway. Um, in 2022, so that will add a bunch more, bunch more potential audiences there. And one of the things they're being very, very careful with um, uh, is that they're making sure when they launch Pluto in different countries that they have a lot of local content. That seems to be key to growing a free service that you really they're not really focusing so much on the american content but they're really looking to draw in local providers to work with them to provide content um, in in that free environment so that should help it continue to grow very strongly although i have to say i think the european market and fast is uh, moving a little bit slower than the american market quite a bit slower Um, so 60 million monthly act 64 million monthly active users is uh, a pretty big yeah. number um i want to give my usual caveat about maus uh, many companies define it differently there's no standard definition for monthly uh, active users the last time uh, pluto tv told me they're the only one that, that has told me how they calculate it they calculate it really based on uniques they don't add what we call a co-viewing multiple uh, to that number so that's a co-viewing multiple basically says well most people are watching on tv with somebody else so they increase the number by 1.2 or 1.4 or some some unknown number but they don't they say they don't do that um, so that's 64 million real uh, devices that are that are actually receiving pluto tv on a monthly basis so um, and that that is pretty decent growth um, the other thing they're doing will which is one of the things that, um, that 
uh, Viacom, CBS, now uh, Paramount Plus, Paramount Group, has done in the past is they've been very free in licensing content. For so, so for example, Yellowstone is available on Peacock and it's available on Hulu. In fact, it's on on Peacock's free tier. Uh, very, very popular show. Well, it looks like they are going to be much more focused now on bringing those home, uh, bringing those uh, big shows home. It will take a while because those licenses have to expire before they get them back. Uh, For example, I think they were talking about in this big, big presentation they gave uh, yesterday, they were talking about South Park, for example, getting South Park back. But that could take uh, a long, a long time. So what they're doing to sort of get around that is with that, extra money that they're spending on streaming is they're going to produce uh, related content, content related to that. So if I think they're doing something called South Park post COVID um, and then, you know, they're, they're going to do so they're going to do shows that are related to the shows that are the big hits to sort of give extra benefit and help people draw people to Paramount Plus which I think is probably a pretty strong strategy. Um, but yeah, uh, they're in, they seem to be well positioned. The market didn't like what they had to say. They didn't like the fact that they were going to be spending a lot of money on extra content to build up their streaming portfolio. But I really don't think they have much choice. I think the market was probably reacting more to the fact that they didn't seem to be positioning themselves to be bought. They seem to be positioning themselves to be successful on their own uh, on their own merits, um, but uh, I, you know, that said, I think they're doing a lot of the right things, and uh, you know, they've got sport going on inside there. They've got their local TV feeds. There's a lot going on inside of Paramount Plus, which I think makes it worth checking out. And it looks like it's going to get more valuable over time. Yeah, I agree with you, Colin. They do seem well positioned. Um, so I. Don't think we want to spend too much time on that because we're up against our sort of self-imposed 25-minute or so deadline. So I think we're going to leave it at that, Colin, unless you had anything else to add. No, I don't. Uh, but I've been, a good, been good chatting with you as always, Will. Likewise, Colin. Thanks, everyone, for listening in on this week's edition of Inside the Stream. And we'll see you all again next week. Inside the Stream is a production of in-screen media and video news, all rights reserved.